0: Today we're talking about continuing our series in holiness, taking off the old self, putting on the new self. It's uh, one of the main points of today's sermon. I've got a lot of things to share with you, uh, but one of the main points of today's message that we'll kind of start and end on is the discussion of holiness really doesn't work unless you get one thing right, and that is coming to faith in God. We don't don't, uh, think about holiness in a legalistic way, in a performance type of way, um, to appease God, but we do it because God loves us. God has adopted us as children. That is an important key point. If we don't, uh, if we come to God in a transactional way, um, it's so easy to fall into legalism, Um, performance, a transaction, versus uh, empowerment and freedom and transformation. So last time I talked about it's so important that we come to God not in a performance way, and we should be able to say our testimony in like two or three minutes um, if we're struggling and coming up with twenty pages of our testimony of all the things that we 've done for God, this is how you this is uh, you're defining yourself in God um, it's really missing the point of the whole reason Jesus came to pay for the penalties of our sins, and the whole fact that we cannot come to God on our own in a performance type of way. So it's important that we talk about this when we talk about the topic of holiness. Um, When we talk about holiness and taking on, off, and putting on the character of Christ, it's so easy to fall into legalism, a performance-based transaction versus empowerment and freedom and the transformation that God can have in us. The, the question is, uh, are we that religious person? And this uh, is parallel to the person of the older son in the prodigal son's story, where he's comparing himself horizontally to his younger brother and saying that I deserve this. Why is he deserving that? And he is very much in a transactional way. Versus the second son confessing his sins, that he has sinned against God in heaven. So when we compare ourselves to God, we all need God's salvation. And this is how we can say our testimony. This is how we can be challenged. Uh, are we a Christian? To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ, a little, little Christ, and we should be able to say in a defining moment that we accepted God's grace and forgiveness. Often it's followed up with baptism as a defining moment. Um, baptism isn't required for your salvation, but it is a picture, it is literally a testimony that at this point in time, I accepted God's grace in my life where I identified with the Christ, uh, Christ's life, his death, paid the penalty for our lives, and I was raised again in baptism. So I challenge you with that, and it's good for discussion that we could continue discussing in our small group. Um, You know, are we baptized? When was the point that we accepted Christ in our life? So this is actually good news for all faiths, our performance-based cultures, and our transactional economy. So religions, we don't have to come to God and repeat ritualistically uh, prayers as if God's a, we could pull the purse strings of God. Many religions, as you know, go to temple and repeat, I don't know, mantras and prayers over and over and over again to somehow um, get into the good graces of God. So the good news is we don't have to be a good Catholic, a good Christian, a good a religious person, but it's all about God uh, transforming our, our lives in the person of Jesus. So talking about holiness is illustrated so well in Luke 15 by these words, but while he was still a long way off, it's hearkening of even while we were yet sinners, that Jesus saved us, became the savior of the sins of the world. He loves and forgives all of our sins, past, present, and future. As far as from the east is from the west, God forgives us. In other words, we don't have to earn God's love or per- perform for God's unconditional love. I threw this verse up here uh, several weeks ago, John four eighteen. Such a wonderful verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Love is not as the world gives. uh, Very similar to that uh, verse, uh, by peace I give to you, not, not as the world gives. Well, the love God gives us is not the same as the love that the world gives. In a nutshell, the world's love tends to be transactional. God's love is transformational. Uh, There are many words for love in the Bible. I've listed them for you. As you know, we often talk about God's agape love. Have you heard of that before, right? This is a type of love that the world does not give. The Bible kind of talks about four or five types of love, and I'll share them with you. One is storge love. That is familial type of love. And that's something that we could relate to, right? The love that we uh, experience in our immediate family, in our upbringing, and uh, maybe some of you are going to be gathering for Father's Day in your extended families, right? That is storge type of love. And something we value in our Asian cultures and esteemed very highly, but as we know, it can be, not always, but can be very transactional if we are real about it. I simply wrote uh, the good, bad, and the ugly, (laughs) right? If we, we could romanticize our uh, familial type of uh, love, certainly, we could romanticize it around the major holidays Father's Day, the one day where my kids are nice to me. (laughs) The one day. But it's often tainted, unfortunately, uh, with obligation and hierarchy, right? If we are honest about it. There's certainly Eros type of love, romantic love. So once you uh, grow up from your family, the hope is uh, maybe you launch and maybe you uh, become a boyfriend, girlfriend, start dating relationships, and this is this uh, amazing romantic type of love that we see every day on our television. Uh, somehow, there's um, romantic eros type of love, phileo type of love. Uh, what uh, famous city is named after phileo type of love? Anybody remember? Philadelphia. That's right. Phileo. The city of brotherly love. There you go. It's funny, cool how the Greek language is uh, infused in our lives, that we in our day-to-day life. Philadelphia. Brotherly and sisterly love. Is that equal give and take? If you're not uh, romantically involved with somebody, if they don't you don't like them or they don't like you in that way, <laughs> whatever that way is. Um, what's it called? You're in the friend zone, right? <laughs> that is brotherly and sisterly type of love. We're just friends. Um, I tortured my uh, wife in early, late high school and early college when I would talk to her about all my girl friend problems because she was in the friend zone. (laughs) Uh, Versus agape love, the transformational love of God, where God loves us unconditionally. We are in Luke 15, his treasure, his precious sheep. Um, I'm going to throw some Greek up there for you. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool. In 1 John 4:18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Do you want to see what it says in Greek? So here it is. No fear. O phobos. No fear. O phobos. You get that? No fear? What's a phobos? What is fear? Phobias, right? Phobias. No phobos in agape. Uphobos in agape. There's no fear in agape type of love. But perfect love, teleos agape, but perfect agape love, drives out balo exo. What's out? Exo, exit, to leave, out. Teleos agape, perfect love, balo exo, drives out fear phobos. So it's kind of cool. In, your, in my Bible program, the Bible Gateway that I have shared with you, There's a it's called a reverse translinear. It's a free uh, uh, a feature of the program. It has a Bible in the Greek text, and you can literally read these passages. There's no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear. Initially, I was looking at it thinking, but what, what is the word that they're using for love here? Perfect love. Because our love is, can be so complicated, right? Um, family, friends, uh, brotherly love. But perfect agape love. Basically, it's saying the love that we get from God, the unconditional love of God, when we encounter that God, that type of love, it drives out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment or transaction, right? So this is the key point in holiness. As we seek to plant seeds and pull weeds, such as described in 2 Corinthians 7, where we talked about, therefore, since we have all these promises, that is, that God will be a father to us and you will be my sons and daughters, Dear friends, then let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates our body and spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, that is in word and deed, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Again, not for the relationship, but because of it. This is how we can take a fearless moral inventory. This is how we can look to the prodigal son story Uh, as it parallels the uh, 12-step program over easy Christianity. The question is, I'll bring up this question later, is why don't we take such practical steps towards holiness in the church? What are the barriers? There are a lot of barriers. I believe it's actually kind of rare in American Christianity that... Uh, we don't see this huge transformation in people. And I believe I know why. I believe it's, it's because of easy Christianity. Like I said, uh, we take on Christ, we accept God's free gift of Jesus, just like we uh, grab a welcome pack when we're visiting in the church. We get coffee, we get donuts, we get a welcome pack, and we get Jesus. And people are satisfied with that. But we're not taught to become followers of Christ, satisfied in name, being Christians, versus indeed. Think about the whole book of James. Faith without works is dead. The Apostle Paul says, encourages us, exhorts us to put to death our old nature. So I'm excited about the particle son story because it gives us practical steps about repentance. It gives us practical steps how to grow in holiness, such as step four, taking a fearless moral inventory. Step five, confessing this moral inventory, all our imperfections to God, ourselves, and to another human being, another person. Step six, which we're just about up to, coming up to speed, is becoming ready in our heart God to remove all our imperfections, to put to death our old nature and to put on the new nature. Step seven, asking God to remove all of our character defects. So like building a wonderful garden, we not only have to plant seeds, but pull weeds. Every week I talk to Catherine and she always says, oh, I worked in my garden today. I worked in my garden today. And, uh, The same thing. If you have that vision of wanting a bountiful harvest, a beautiful garden, right? You not only need to plant seeds, but pull the weeds out as well. It's a wonderful analogy of our Christian life. The Apostle Paul encourages us believers in Colossians 3 to plant seeds and pull weeds. Whatever you do in word or deed, do in Jesus' name and giving thanks to God in all things, Let the peace of Christ rule in your lives. So I shared this uh, passage in detail last time. I'm not going to go through it in detail, but summarize it. He talks about being transformed in our attitude with God. And that is to give thanks in God and let the peace of God rule in your lives. Now, when I first became a minister... My first assignment was actually at Mary Opal Crone's uh, Mission Church at the Mayhew Church. I was asked to be an interim minister during the summer. And one of my first assignments was to do a hospital visitation for a, a church member. So I went to the hospital. Never done that before. I got my Bible, and I have a Billy, I took Billy Graham's Christian Workers Handbook with me. I thought I might be prepared, because it's very topical. So I go to the person's room in the ICU, and the person's asleep, in a coma. I don't know what they were there, was just asleep. So I sat there, kind of not knowing what to do. So I uh, prayed for the person silently, and I started to leave. And then one of the nurses says, oh, are you a Protestant minister? I said, uh, yes, yes, I am. They go, oh, next door, they were looking for a minister, and they were wondering if you would say a few words. Then they went on to describe the situation where they were ready to take them off of life support. And I was going, whoa. <laughs> so I said, okay, and I, I don't know, thumbed through my Billy Graham's Christian Worker's Handbook about life and death and situations like that and came across a few verses of our hope in God and I went there with the family around the bed and simply asked if I could say a few verses and pray with them and that's what I did I said a few verses and as I was saying tears are flowing all all around the bed and uh, what does one say (laughs) in a situation like that, right? But this came to mind is give thanks in all things. God exhorts us to give thanks in all things. And even I've made it a habit even in in hospital all hospital visitations, whether it's accidents, persons in a coma or whatnot, is to acknowledge the situation but to remind us that God encourages us to give thanks in all things. Give thanks in all things. And even in those situations, it gives us a godly perspective, right? Maybe uh, thanking God for this life, what this person meant in our lives. Thanking God that this person didn't die in this accident, okay? (laughs) They might be, I don't know, all banged up, You know, lost her leg, whatever, paralyzed, but thanking God in all things, letting the peace of God rule in our lives. So the Apostle Paul encourages us to remind us to transform our mind with our attitude with God. And he goes on to say in Colossians 3 to transform our attitude with other people. Be patient and forgive as we have been forgiven. Therefore, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Jesus, uh, I love this. When we look at the life of Jesus, uh, life of Christ, he grew in wisdom and stature. I love that. Right? I've I've, uh, wanted to have that as a theme verse in my life. That's what I want, to be like Christ. I want to grow in wisdom and stature. But not only that, in influence, in ministry, but I summarize it with this one word, is learning to, I want to be characterized as, as being gracious, okay? If I'm characterized, if I'm known as being gracious, that means I know God's love and grace, and that I'm going to exude that with those around me. Gracious, graciousness, it's a root, root word of grace, right? Be patient and forgive as we have been forgiven. That's what I think of when I read those words, is learning to be gracious, being infused with God's character. So we take off, we put on God's nature, which is being renewed every day, and are are being transformed with ourselves as well, pulling weeds, put to death our earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And Paul tells us what these things are. On a bottom line, I know those are a lot of words, but it's basically idolatry. It's idolatry, worshiping other things other than God. So this is our vision, right? I pulled PowerPoint, puts up a nice little photo there, doesn't it? Green is spring and growth, and I think this is an actual photo. I think that's an actual butterfly. <laughs> This is our vision, metamorphosis. This is the vision for us to plant seeds, pull weeds, a new spirit in our lives, a garden, a new nature. Like I said before, bottom line is learning to be gracious, feeding on God's peace, a spirit of gratitude, God's agape love, learning to be patient, And forgiving as God forgave us. Now, summing up a a last few thoughts. I said before, we started this message with, you got to get the first thing right. You can't come to holiness thinking that we're going to perform and earn God's pat on the back like the second son. So well illustrated. I deserve this. I deserve a goat. Look what I've done for you. That's the first thing. Second is to actually plant seeds and pull weeds. But what keeps us from being ready to be changed? What keeps us from saying, don't mold my heart, God. Don't transform my mind. Don't mess with my will. I'm not ready to trust in God. Luke 15 illustrates when he was ready, the prodigal younger son became in need Jesus said, it is the sick who need a physician, right? Those who are in need. So the comfortable don't need God. Those that don't think we're sick don't need God. Those of us who are proud and self-righteous don't need God. This is what keeps non-Christians and Christians from this amazing vision of being transformed. I came across this quote this week. The comfortable do not pray. Probably talking about Christians here, right? When we're comfortable, we don't pray. We're not empty. Versus inherit, who inherits the kingdom of God? What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Who inherits the kingdom of God? The comfortable, the rich, and the proud? no the humble the poor in spirit the hungry so this call to holiness out of reverence for god is like the parable of the sower and the seed in luke 8:14 the seed is sown on the ground and satan you know sometimes gobbles it up and so people do not hear the word of god but often the word of god is choked out. It actually takes root in our lives, but it's choked out, get this, the Apostle says, by the worries and cares of the world, riches and pleasures. I was just thinking about this. This basically describes American humanity, doesn't it? Our nine to five, Monday through Friday, well, not for all of you guys that are retired, but most of the world, right? What what do they say? They work for the weekend. TGIF, right? They work hard, play hard. They're consumed by the worries of the world. Riches, pursuing riches, pursuing our security, that God, that idol, and pleasures. And what happens? They do not mature. I think this is the problem of American Christianity. Easy Christianity, but yet... We're comfortable. We're comfortable. We're cons- uh, consumers of Christianity. We can go to church to church and take little bits and pieces of what we like, but life worries, riches, and pleasures are Monday through Friday. Squeeze out the good word of God. i close on... An oldie but goodie. Wow. Those of you that remember the Crone Sisters, <laughs> you guys are vintage. <laughs> That's awesome. Here's a couple pictures, vintage pictures from the four spiritual laws, right? A, a track by Bill Bright way back in the day. And it kind of illustrated what we were ta- I was talking about today, about holiness Again, why aren't we ready to have God remove our character defects? Paul says it comes down to idolatry. We worship the self-isolation over God. Here's illustrated here. uh, A self-directed life. I'm not sure if this is from the four spiritual laws or maybe the Billy Graham material. This is our self sitting on the throne. Right? Interest in our life is kind of in discord, frustrated. Christ is on the outside of our lives. Right? But a Christ-directed life is in the center. We are yielding to God. The self and all these other things are not our idol. Okay? So a nice illustration to... Uh, to illustrate what we're talking about today. So this is the goal. This is the vision that uh, we're closing on today. A transformation by God's agape love, a metamorphosis, a new spirit with God, ourselves, and others. Luke eight fifteen says, but the seed that lands on good soil for those with a noble and good heart hear the word, They retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. Right? Catherine, that's what we want, right? A good crop, after all that work, after all that tending. That is God's peace, gratitude, love, patience, forgiving as the Lord forgave us, putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, And patience. It all starts with knowing God's unconditional love, his agape love for us, not transactional, but transformational. Let me close with a short benediction, with a, since we're on nostalgia, we started with nostalgia with the Crone Sisters. Take time to be holy, be calm in thy soul. Each thought and each motive beneath his control. Thus, led by his spirit, two fountains of love, thou shalt soon shalt be fitted for service above. Amen. All right, good seeing you guys.